0: The Lord's Prayer, as Jesus asked the Lord to transform his disciples into disciple makers, so we need to ask to be transformed so we can transform others. Who's pouring into us? Who are we pouring into? That's another way to look at it. D1, D2, D3, Disciple 1, Disciples Disciple 2, Disciples Disciple 3. We'll actually see a fourth generation in this passage that we go through. I'll point that out when we get to the end there. So John chapter 16, verse 31, we're going to read through 17, 5. Jesus asked, Do you finally believe? But the time is coming and indeed is here now when you'll be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone, yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you all these this, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. That's the reason why I asked Jesse to sing that last song this morning, is because it goes with the scripture that we're gonna we have read this morning. Let's continue on in chapter seventeen. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up into heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you, for you have given him authority over everyone. He has given eternal life to each one you have given him, and this is the way you have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you have sent to earth, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you have given me to do, Now, Father, bring me into the glory we share before the world began. He says he has completed his work. Has he died on the cross? He has not died on the cross yet. But he's completed his work that he's been given to do. Dare I say, part of that task, what does disciple his disciples to make disciples of his disciples, right? Right. He has taken them into the full knowledge that they need to understand. They understand now. And boy, will they understand in three or four days from now, right? They'll really understand it. But his task was to pour into his disciples. Did Jesus change the world through mass preachings sometimes? Anna, can you go back to the the flower, please? Thanks. Um, Yes, he did sometimes. Jesus spoke to the masses. But I would say... Every time he spoke to the masses, he focused on his 12 that he had right there with him. And he's like, you know, it's going to be too easy if I just have 12 followers that follow me all the way. So I'm going to have one of them betray me. Right. Which John notes every time we get to Judas Iscariot, Um, Peter or Matthew and uh, Luke both um, talk about that as well. So Jesus spoke of his hour 20 times in the Gospel of John. 20 times. This being the final time. The hour has come. It has arrived. What has arrived? What's about ready to happen? He's praying in the garden. What happens next? He's arrested, right? It's the beginning of the end. It's the final week that he's here with us, and he is about ready to be glorified. What's it mean to be glorified? It means to be hung on a cross and die for the Lord, right? That's the beginning of glorification. The the back end is kind of what I'm excited about, the resurrection, right? So when he took all the sins of the world, He bore them for humanity, dying on the cross, a gruesome death, but he rose again so that we might have life when we surrender to him. Okay. It's a conditional statement. He will do this if we do this. True or false? that true or false? Will God hold up his end of the bargain if we hold up our end of the bargain? Right? But there's a big if there. There's a big if. It is dependent on our surrender. Is it easy to surrender? Not usually. That usually goes against my pride. Right? I can do it all by myself. I learned that when I was two. I still do that. I still get that little bob in my head and be like, God, I can do this all by myself. Right? And he's like, oh, you foolish mortal. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Right? But we are his children. Does he treat us like foolish mortals? No, he treats us like an amazing, loving father, doesn't he? And since we are his children, this is Romans 8. Eight, verse 17 and since we are his children we are his heirs in fact together with Christ we are heirs of God's glory but if we are to share his glory another conditional statement there we must also share in his suffering Whoa. That's what my boy William would say I didn't sign up for the suffering I just signed up for the glory right whoa, pastor, let's hold them horses. Um, yeah, well, I, that's what I like to do, too. I like to, I like to have the glory. I don't like to have the suffering, and I'll give an example of that. Last year, I was admiring my brother's garden. My brother has a nice garden. He has uh, very healthy soil, and healthy soil equals healthy garden, and I, that's that's where I grew up. I grew up on the farm. I, my college degree is in agronomy, which is study of production crops like corn and soybeans. And so soil is interesting. Everything in gardening starts with soil, doesn't it, Phil? Everything. You want to have a good garden, you tear out all the clay and you put good soil in there because that's, that's how you do gardening around here, right? Up at my house where my parents were, you had to dig down into the sand and then you build, fill it up with good soil, That's where it starts, is with the soil, okay? So I was like, wow. I looked at these rows, and they kind of look like potatoes, but I found out that, uh, obviously, I saw after I got closer. The old peepers aren't working like they used to. They're strawberries. I see the strawberry plants coming up, and he's got straw around them and things, and I'm I'm looking around those, and I was like, wow, it'd be really cool if we came up and picked some berries with you. And he said... That would be fine if you wanted to come pick berries, if you wanted to weed as well. Because if you share in the labor, you share in the berries. Makes sense, especially to him, right? Um, makes sense to me, too, because that's how I was, I was grown up and things. But we're so used to instant gratification in the, in the grocery store today, aren't we? We walk right in there, and we're like, I'm going to get some berries, and I can even share these things, Right? At $6 a pound or whatever they are now? Sheesh. I'll share a a few, but I ain't sharing that. Well, there's that conditional statement. You can share, the Lord says, right? But we forget the hard work that goes into the harvest, don't we? We forget that hard work. And we forget the weeding, the watering, the pest control, the picking of the berries even hunting under those leaves because it seems like I don't have any berries until you pull back the leaves, and then they are right there, right? And my brother was asking me to share in the suffering so that I might share in the fellowship. Do you have fellowship in picking the berries? Do you have fellowship in weeding? Do you have fellowship in getting down there and doing a hard task and, and enjoying the, the outcome? You can look back at your row, and at least in my rows when I have my gardens. I can look back and I can definitely tell that I've weeded because my weeds well they're usually taller than my plants, right? And so if we share in the fellowship that and then in the glorification of the berries picked together. The Lord wants us to do the hard work of working through our sins. He wants to work us to work through our pride, work through our suffering, work through our depression, work through our tomfoolery, if it will be. And he's called us to something greater. He has called us to the Father in service of him. So we, he will all call us to the glorification in heaven. And that's Romans 8, verse 30. It says, I have chosen them. Isn't that awesome? He's picked specific berries that were ready that were ripe that were ready to go he has chosen them he's called them to come to him and he called and having called them he gave them the right standing with himself and having given them the right standing he gave them his glory the outcome's pretty awesome isn't it it starts with surrender it starts with saying lord You're awesome. Me, not so much. And you know what he says to that statement? I can work with that. I can work with that. So if we have 10 steps to go, how many steps do we have to meet God in the middle? No, God meets us right where we're at. If we can only take one step to him, that's good enough. Maybe it's just turning around and looking back and see if he's there. He's like... Well, I can even work with that, right? And I find it's easier the closer I walk to him, the easier that transition of surrender is. But it's not impossible when you just turn around, right? Because are we dependent on my strength to get us there to heaven? Is White Rose dependent on Pastor House to get to heaven? I hope not. <laughs> if you are. We need to talk, okay, because I am not going to get you there. I can't get you there. It's impossible. Only Jesus Christ can get you to heaven. You just got to surrender. And I'm not saying that's an easy step, is it? Because we all have that attitude, and I can do it all by myself. As Jesus asked the Father to transform his disciples into disciple-makers, so we must also ask to be transformed so we can transform others. Let's look at verse 6 of chapter 17. We're going to read through 19. And this is some some really neat observations. I'll get into it when I get into the part after we read. I have revealed to you and these talk this is Jesus talking to God, right? So I have revealed to you the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. I gave them you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything I have is a gift from you. I have passed on to them the message you have given me and they accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe you sent me. Would Jesus know in their heart if that's true or not? Yeah. Because who who's with them in the garden right now? Does he have 12 disciples or he have 11? He's got 11, right? He's only got the 11 that he knows in their heart, they trust him, okay? My prayer is not for the world, but those you have given me, because you be- they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Now I am departing from the world, and they are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united together just as we are. During my time here, I protected them by the power of the name that you have given me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction, as the scriptures foretold. Now I'm coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they might be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. I, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. This brings us to point number two. We need to pray for others. We need to be praying for other people. What the apostles received from Christ, so they pass on to others. Verse 8, for I have passed on to them the message you have given me. They accepted it, and they know that Jesus came from God, and they believe that God sent Jesus. Okay, the basics. They had it down. So what do we have here? From Christ to the disciples, we have D1, discipler, to a D2, disciplee. Okay? From Jesus to the apostles, we have D1 to D2, two generations of disciples with an expectation for them to create a third. Okay? Okay? As we receive from Christ, so we pass on to others. 2 Timothy 2.22 is a good verse. But 2 Timothy 2.2 is a good verse as well. Let's read that one. Um, we have heard, you have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. You have heard me. So Jesus, in this case, it was Paul to, the, to Timothy. Timothy to probably the Corinthians, maybe the Ephesians. The Ephesians to teach others who are reliable witnesses um, so they can teach others. In that passage, you see at least four. You could probably tweak five out of it pretty quickly. So there's an expectation From the inflow that we receive from the Holy Spirit, that we overflow it into others. Is that my job? Yeah. Is it your job? Yeah. As a Christ follower, we are always giving a testimony, aren't we? Through our actions and through our lifestyle. So if you come in today and you act all churchy and you walk out, And you go back to a worldly lifestyle, you have a heart problem. Right? The Lord is working on your heart, and you need to change. How do you know that, Pastor? Because I can do that too, just as easy as you can. Right? We're all in the same struggle, we struggle with different things, and praise God. Could you imagine if we all struggled the same sin? Do you think we'd ever conquer that sin? I don't think so. The Lord has made us a diverse house of worship. We're all diverse in our (laughs) sinning. Yay. (laughs) Right? We are, though. And so when you are struggling, maybe I can pick you up. And when I'm struggling, maybe you can pick me up. That's how discipling works. That's what the church does when we work together. Jesus inflows into his disciple. As a D1 discipler, how do we pour into our disciples? How are we going to pour into our disciples? Who set the model for that? Jesus did, right? So we're going to do it like Jesus did. The answer is like Jesus. So how does Jesus pour into here? So I I came up with about five different ways in this passage that Jesus inflows into his prayers to the Lord on how he, some of these expectations. The one that was really surprising to me was Jesus prays for protection for his disciples. He comes back to this point at least two other times in this passage. He prays for protection. So we pray, we must pray for protection for our disciples, who's, who are we discipling? Maybe it's your kids. You should be always be praying for your family, shouldn't you? You should pray for those that are around us. This is a daily prayer that we need to be lifting up. Pray for protection. Pray for your wife and your kids. Pray for your husband. Pray for your church and your pastor. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19 says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Pray for me to ask God to give me the right words so I can be boldly explained Jesus' mysterious plan that the the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. Jessie prayed for me this morning. I appreciated her. I gave her a hard time about the prayer, but I I really do appreciate um, how she prayed for me. She prayed that god's message would be able to flow through me you know it's a i'm a conduit god's given me this message this week i want to i want to be able to pour it out to you as a blessing as the lord's blessed me this week verse fifth or when i skipped a point here info jesus prays for the joy of the lord interesting here what's about ready to happen Jesus is about ready to be crucified. He's going to be separated from his disciples, and he asks for the joy of the Lord. I thought that was interesting. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, the second part of it says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, that in context of that passage is is exactly what it means, but it's interesting that we quote that to read that whole chapter 8 and that passage. It's like, wow, they're in some in some troubled times as well. And he's asking the joy of the Lord to be their strength as well. John fifteen ten through 11 says, when you obey my commandments, again, a conditional, if you obey my commandments or when you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I obeyed the Father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be overfilled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. We have an opportunity to come alongside Jesus Christ as he pours into us and to walk through a problem with him and look back at that problem and say, I don't know how I got through that. And then realize it was the Lord who was holding us above water. And we have the joy of the Lord there to be our strength. To get us through. Praise God. Verse 15, it says the inflow, he says, keep them safe from the evil one. He asked for protection for them and then he asked for protection against the devil specifically. Why would he do that? Just a few hours ago, he turned to Peter and said, Peter, the devil just asked for your life. If I could if he could sift you out just like sand. He could take you out so fast right now. Jesus knew Peter was going to betray him, didn't he? He knew how big that would be to Peter. He was going to deny him 3 times. So that's the betrayal. So so I meant to say he's going to deny him 3 times. What's he going to do after? Well, John writes at the end of that. No, we'll learn that on uh, April 24th. Stay tuned. Right? So, is it important to pray against Satan? Absolutely. Jesus did it. Inflow, Jesus asked God to, in verse 17, make them holy by your truth. By God's word, he reveals his secrets to us. If you ask God to reveal his word to you, he will do it. If you're having a hard time understanding God's word, you need to evaluate your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're like, well, I've I've, I've accepted him in my life. I've surrendered. Well, then you have angst between you. You need a bath, right? Wash your hands and feet. And then he, read the passage again and see how it comes. Teach them your word, which is truth. Teach them your word. Uh, Jesus is calling us out of this world into his dominion. Jesus is asking God to make his word powerful in our lives. And finally, he asks them again in verse 17 uh, to teach them your word. Um. So we receive from Christ, so we pass on to others. Ex- sounds exactly like when we take communion. What I've received, I pass on to you. That's, what, that's a Jewish teaching thing. It should be a Christian teaching thing. What you've received from your mentor, from your pastor, I pass on into my daily life, and I'm going to pass on, I'm going to inflow it into somebody that I have, that I'm working with. 2 Timothy 2 2. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Is that important? To have reliable witnesses. Yeah, especially in in their culture, but it's it's important in our culture, too. So it means they're teaching the truth. Now, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So I have given to you, pass them on to others who have connections that they can pass on to others. As Jesus asked the fathers to transform his disciples and disciple makers, so we should ask to be transformed so we can transform others. I have a question for you. Can you pour into somebody that's pouring into you? Absolutely, right? Spur one another on. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It is your decision to bring up Christ in your conversations. And when you do, you say, this is what the Lord's been teaching me out of this passage. I've learned from several of you guys in here. And so you encourage me, so I want to encourage you. I just quoted like four verses right there on things on how we need to be encouraging one another. We inflow and overflow in our relationships together. John 17, 20 through 26, will finish off the chapter. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in my name through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, just as you are in me. Father, and I, me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them just as much as you love me. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with you where I am. Then they can see all the glory you have given me because you loved me even before the world began. Kind of an important statement there, by the way. Oh, righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I do. And those disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then you will, your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. That's a foreshadowing of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? It's the beginning of the verse. And by the way, this is also D3 overflowing at us. So those that the disciples pour into is overflow. I, verse 20, I'm not praying all, only for th- these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Jesus prayed for believers everywhere and all places. That includes you and I. I'm pretty stoked that my Lord and Savior prayed for me. I hope you are too. right? That's pretty awesome. He, he had foreshadowing not only to put it in there, but to make sure John wrote it down. Because if you recall from the other Gospels, he was a little ways away, and they were having a hard time staying awake. right? John apparently heard some of the prayer and was able to write it down. So, overflow into others who pour into others. D4, in a sense, is verse 21. And it says, They and they may be also that the world will believe you sent me. So, they're going to be witnesses to the world. There's potential for a fourth generation there. Who are you pouring into? So that they may know that Jesus in a more intimate way. Maybe another way to say it is, are you reflecting the character of Jesus Christ? I hope so. You can be like, amen, Pastor, I sure am. Of course, that would be boasting, and then you can't be humble that way. So I I get it. Jesus prays for the future church. What a powerful message did he pray what powerful message did he pray? How might it spur us on to pray for others? He prayed that we might spread the message. Jesus prayed for unity. If you look back at this passage, the theme that rolls through John chapter th- 17 is unity. That we might work together. That we might serve Together, That we might not grumble, but that we would go and work it out so we could serve together. That's not easy to do. Especially when I can do it all by myself. Right? I came up with uh, three main points of what Jesus prayed for, for the future church, and what message. The first one is Jesus prayed for unity. The world may know the message of Jesus Christ through our unity. When we work together, why do you think the, the message of the food pantry is so powerful? Because we work together. And when we don't work together, does the discord show in our testimony? Yeah, it does. Not in a good way. Why does VBS look so successful around here? It's because we work together right and when we work together to build each other up that's when we can praise god and he is excited about us and that the world sees jesus christ in us that's why i want unity is important it is very important it's it's ephesians chapter four important right he wrote a whole chapter on it (laughs) which isn't really that a ton but uh if you read the whole book of Ephesians, if, if you take out Ephesians chapter 4, it doesn't work. Marriages don't work. Families don't work. Because we got to be united in Christ first. Number two, the glory of the Spirit of God. Emmanuel, God with us. He promised that he is going to be with us. When we show others how we are unified in mind, soul, and spirit, we put The gospel on display what hinders us in this task we need to think what do i need to work on i need what sin do i need to to correct how can i get along with other people better what do we need to guard against i'll give you two examples of things you can guard against guard against gossip ask yourself do they really need to know this information Or do I feel like I have a nugget that I can share, right? Do they really need to know about that person like that? It's true, but did they really need to know it? Or do I have the right to share this information? Did somebody tell me this in confidence or did I overhear a confidence that I'm not really supposed to share? The next one is guard against discouragement. Ask yourself, are my words building others up, or do I feel I need to put them in their place all the time? Well, if they were just down where they belonged, we could get along a lot better. If They would just listen. Right? So, discouragement. And encouragement. I'll give you a great example. I learned from Cole Espensheed and Kingdom Sports Ministry. He came over here in the gym during COVID and did um, doing sports God way. And he walked uh, the group of kids that we had through this. And he says, "All right, I want you to break up into four different groups. I gave you a number. You remember your number. You walk to your or you go to your groups. Let's go." Blows a whistle. And the kids are like, I'm number one. So they start walking over into their groups. And he blows his whistle. And he's like, all right, I'm going to teach you on the hop, what it means to be on the hop. So when I get on there, I want you to run to your stop. And when you get to your station, I want you to slow it down. On the hop means to slow it down, that you have to slow before you hit the wall. That's on the hop. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to go back, line up, blows a whistle. Everybody jogs to their station. They get there on the hop. Now, could he have shamed us and said, You bunch of lazy bones, you get up there and start running. I told you to run to your station. He could have, right? But isn't that a form of discouragement? It sure is. Instead, he gave us the opportunity to pour into ourselves so that we could pour into the team. Not only did he build us up, he built the teamwork up. And it It destroys the logic of being lazy during practice by giving us an opportunity to do something opposed to um, just saying that, all right? The last one is the love of God. What are the building blocks of love? Is there a formation that we can come together in and find the building blocks of love. You can actually find the building blocks of love in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. You're like, "What?" It's true. Because love comes from faith. Did you know that? And faith comes from what? It comes from the promises that God has given us. It comes from the truths that he's established in his creation in his son coming in the Old Testament covenant that he gave, in the promises of the sacrifice, because he's ultimately going to fulfill that as the ultimate sacrifice. And so in view of all this, all this would be the promises and the truths that he's given us. This is verse five. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision a moral excellence and moral excellence add to it with knowledge and to a knowledge with self-control and to self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone or agape love okay since God has promised us salvation, we are to surrender to him by faith in Jesus Christ. Step one, God gave. If God has done this, so we need to do this. Conditional statement, we need to surrender to him by faith in Jesus Christ. We need to add to our moral excellence knowledge. Right? Our moral excellence. So, when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, your life starts to change. You now have a moral code. You start to recognize well, maybe I shouldn't always take a penny, maybe I should leave one too. And those little things start to add up. Maybe I don't, am not a very good listener. Maybe I need to listen to just listen instead of listen to argue to win the argument. Interesting, huh? Do you ever do that? I used to do that all the time. I would listen to argue. And so they'd get halfway through the statement and I would cut them off because I knew what they're going to say, knew what they're going to say. And I would go through there and um, I would have my defense up there and I'd be like, ha, 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 I'm going to win this argument. Well, I'd win the argument, but would I win the relationship? No. And then I met my wife, and she said, you didn't even listen to what I said. And I was like, yes, I. What was I going to say? Well, you were going to say this, and then you were going to go on. Actually, no, I wasn't. Oh, dear. Dear. (laughs) Right? Right? I've learned a lot from my wife. I've learned a lot. Like, I don't listen. And then I applied that to my ministry. And I listen to, I try hard to listen to my, the whole statement. So they, will t- they will tell you something. So add to my moral excellence knowledge. Was I aware that I was interrupting somebody? Well, the Holy Spirit's convicted me. My wife's convicted me. I better, I better uh, change. Knowledge is God's word. How am I going to change? I'm going to change via His word. I'm going to look at His example. I'm going to change to knowledge, self-control. This is Second 2 Timothy two twenty-two. Um, flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. So flee your temptation, follow, which is um, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Those are all attributes of God. Along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. Friends, flee, flower, flower, bleh. flee, follow, friends. Purity can live in there right? You can change. Change doesn't happen overnight though, does it? So to self-control patient endurance for ourselves and for others. Have kids and you will learn a new meaning to patience. Yes. And I'd like to say it stops when they get to the age of 15 or 20 or It never does, though, right? And why do we get so frustrated with our kids? Whether they like it or not, they're mini-me's of ourselves. And so we see our own flaws in them. Sometimes amplified, sometimes they do better than we do, which is sometimes more frustrating than when they're amplified. But change doesn't happen overnight. Romans 5, 3-3 through five says, we can rejoice too when we run into these problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. Lord, I don't want to, I don't want to develop endurance. I don't want, I want comfort. He's like, you get that in heaven. Develop yourself now. Endurance develops strength of character and strength of character, our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Salvation, faith leads to love. Two different paths. You see one in Romans. You see one in Second uh, Peter chapter 1. To patient, patience, endurance, godliness, character, the fruit of the Spirit. Which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It then says, against such things there is no law. Why is there no law? Because they are attributes of God. If you are developing godly character, then you have integrity. You have trustworthiness. And we don't need the law. Because love fulfills the law. Godliness To godliness, brotherly affection. This would be love for your neighbor like you love yourself. How do you love yourself? Well, you make sure you're well fed, you're taken care of with food, clothing, shelter, all the basic needs. Make sure your neighbor is too. And to brotherly affection, love. What kind of love? Love your neighbor. As yourself, how about even more? so love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you Grrr. thought we decided to cross that out of the Bible. No, no, we didn't that was just your pastor rambling. Pray for your enemies that's so hard to do. Brotherly affection, love for everyone, agape love. What does that look like? It looks like what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's exactly what Christ Jesus did. Why do we always romanticize when somebody does that as a hero? He runs into the building that's burning, and he rescues. Sometimes he makes it out, sometimes he doesn't didn't look like Christ made it out at first, did it? But he pushed through the pits of hell and presented the gospel message. Some he moved up, some he didn't. Out of the holding cells and things. And he came back to earth and he said, all right, they all know it. Now you do. I'm the Lord of heaven and earth and of hell right? Pretty amazing. Then John thirteen thirty five, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, which comes right back to unity, doesn't it? We have to work together. When we do, it goes well with us. When we don't, it hurts our testimony for Jesus Christ. Because as Jesus asked the Father to transform his disciples into disciple-makers, so we should be transformed so that we can transform others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together this morning, and we thank you that um, what you did, uh, you bore the sins of the world, Lord, and we learned how you got ready for that. You prayed for other people. You prayed for your disciples. You didn't even pray for yourself. In your last prayer, before you went into the depths, we praise you for this because you care for us. Lord, we thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus, and as we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and to love the people who cross our path, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the adventures you're sending our ways to live to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts closer to you and to specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who love you, who love people, who make disciples, who make more disciples ad infinitum. Lord, we pray for those that are inflowing into our lives and those that are we're pouring into that we would make an impact for your kingdom and they would impact us for your kingdom. Guide and direct us, lead us and protect us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're dismissed.